The exchanging of gifts can be a tricky thing. Finding the right gift for someone, oh, that takes insight and time, and some people are just better at it than others. And then there is gift getting. Uh, it can take some skill and maybe even, even some acting talent to be able to receive a gift in just the right way. Which brings me to the song, The 12 Days of Christmas. Now it's, it's not everyone's favorite Christmas song. I've heard it referred to as the 99 bottles of beer of Christmas carols. It gets a little tedious. Now its premise is that someone is giving their true love a series of gifts over the season of Christmas. And the gifts, well, they are odd by anyone's standard. Well, several years ago, radio show and podcast, This American Life, gathered a group of improv actors and set them loose on this song. They imagined a couple, the true love and the one giving the true love the gifts, and they gave them vaguely British sounding names, Lady Haversquire and Lord Mavermuch. Now, I'm gonna try to act this out for you. Lady Haversquire? Yes. We've been courting now for going on 10 months and, and I've been playing in my mind what to get you for Christmas. Oh, Lord Mavermunch, I'm sure that whatever you will bring me on Christmas will bring me much. May I give it to you now? Oh, uh, all right. Here you are, five golden rings. Oh, oh my goodness. And I've also brought you 23 birds. Sorry? 23 individual birds and 50 human people. Do you like it? Um, I, well, yes, I, I love it. Um, Lord Mavermunch, uh, if, if we could just go back for a minute to the five golden rings. So question, what's the difference between a gold ring and a golden ring? Because one seems to imply that it merely has the color yet none of the value. Oh, well, you've caught me there. I'm afraid to say the pear tree cost rather more than I expected. Lord Mavermunch, do you remember when you first came courting? Oh, uh, yes, my memory is intact. Is it? Because I distinctly remember telling you that I don't like a turtle dove. I find roses played out, and quite frankly, lords a-leaping, I've seen enough. And yet that's all? That's all you seem to have brought. Well, well, look, just, do you know what they call you in the county? I don't. They call you quantity over quality. I love that skit. And it reminds me that gifts, gifts are a tricky business. Giving them, receiving them, it's just so easy for things to go wrong. Well, gifts are a big topic in Corinth, a topic that Paul addresses in his letter to this community. But first, I want to just give a little background. Um, Corinth is a bustling, diverse city. Uh, the church reflects that di diversity. And in a time and place when people tend to just stick with their own, their own ethnic group, their own religion and gender, their same social and economic status, well, along comes Paul and the early followers of Jesus who throw everyone in together. 
men and women, young and old, peasant and aristocrat. It's a bold experiment, bringing all those kinds of people together into the church and expecting that they will all get along. Well, they don't always get along. And one of the things they disagree about is gifts. Now, not lords a-leaping and turtle doves, but the churchy kind of gifts. Paul lists some of the gifts that are present in the church in Corinth, things like wisdom and healing and discernment. Now, we could spend a lot of time looking at, at that list, but I'm, I'm not sure the details of the list matter. What matters to Paul is how we perceive these gifts and how those gifts work together. Evidently, there are folks in the church in Corinth who think their gift is better than other people's gift. Now, some of us don't need other people to tell us that our gifts don't have any value. We can do that all by ourselves. It was the concluding exercise of a Bible study on this passage. I had traced out a human body onto butcher paper and set out crayons and asked the participants to draw their gifts onto the body on the paper. Uh, that, I said to them, is the body of Christ and Paul's image for talking about the church. Well, one woman held back and, and stood to one side and I went over to her thinking, Maybe she just didn't like to draw or felt foolish using crayons. Would you like to draw your gifts onto the paper, I asked. I would if I could, she said. But the truth is, I don't have any gifts. I tried to cajole her into identifying her strengths. But I, I realized that she honestly believed she had no worthy gifts to offer the world. When do we first hear the message that we have nothing to offer, that we aren't fit enough or strong enough or smart enough? When do we first hear that? Is it from our parents who seem disappointed no matter what grade we bring home? Is it our boss never satisfied with our best work? Is it our friend who responds to our accomplishments by rattling off a list of their own? Or maybe it's in church. That's what was happening in Corinth. That's what Paul is responding to in this letter. That's why he is so insistent, so clear, so unambiguous with his words. So according to Paul, from God's perspective, everyone has gifts and all the gifts have value because they come from God. Which means that the things we are good at, they don't just belong to us as individuals, but they belong to the larger community. And here's the kicker. The gifts that are present in the community at any given time are enough. That's hard to believe sometimes. That we, this church, at any given point, we have what we need, the resources, the human capital, the vision, to be a beacon of healing and justice in our community. That means this city, we have the leadership, the resources, the human capital to, for example, dramatically improve the city's school district. That means this world, we have the scientific knowledge, the resources, the imagination to, for example, reverse climate change. But as we all know too well, having the gifts 
isn't enough. What is so often missing is an appreciation of the gifts of others and then the interest in pooling them for the common good, especially now. Historically, people pull together in the face of external threat, fire, flood, hurricane. These things have traditionally brought diverse communities together in a common response. That has not happened during the pandemic. And I can tell you why. It's the fault of other people. I mean, you know who they are. If everyone just saw the world the way I do, we could all be united and have that common strategy. And I can imagine Paul shaking his head. Maybe that's not a helpful starting place. I, I wanna turn now to a, a graduation commencement address. Um, it's from 2016. It was offered by then Dean of the Harvard School of Education, James Ryan. Uh, it's a great speech. And one of the things he talks about is the power of the question, couldn't we at least? And this, this is what he says about it. He, quote, this is the question to ask that will enable you to get unstuck, as they say. It's what enables you to get past disagreement to some consensus. As in, couldn't we at least agree that we all care about the welfare of students, even if we disagree about strategy? It's also a way to get started when you're not entirely sure where you will finish. As in, couldn't we at least begin by making sure that all kids have the chance to come to school healthy and well-fed, end quote. I've seen this work with people who aren't predisposed to have a common agenda. This couldn't we at least agree process though, it's tedious, it's long, it's hard work. And it just might be the only way in which stuff gets done in the real world. But it doesn't work unless we assume that everyone has something to contribute, that everyone has gifts, that everyone has something to share, skills, insights, experience, even or especially those who look at the world very differently than we do. So I'm, I'm gonna ask you now to do a little work this morning. Maybe grab a, a pen and paper or, or, or pull out your smartphone to write down a few notes as we think together about gifts. First, I, I want you to identify some of your own gifts. Now, I, I made a list and here's a few of the ones I put on, on my list. Um, the gift of making risotto, the gift of asking for directions, the gift of making connections between seemingly disparate things, the gift of saying aloud the things everyone else is thinking. But you developed your own list. Now I want you to pick a person or two in your life, um, people you know and care for and trust, and identify some of their gifts. I thought of, of a few of my friends and their gifts, and here's some of the things I thought of. The gift of hosting others for a meal. Uh, the gift of showing up when I most need them. Uh, the gift of asking really good questions. The gift of owning their own imperfections and brokenness, which creates space for me to own my imperfections and brokenness. That was an easy list for me to come up with. The gifts of my friends. 
But then I wanted us to make one more list. And that's to think of someone who sees the world very differently than we do. Someone maybe we struggle to get along with and to identify their gifts. Well, I did that. I, start, I started doing that and I, I came up with one right away. I thought this person has the gift of being incredibly passive aggressive. Not a good start. So I spent a little more time and tried sincerely to think of the gifts of someone who thinks very differently than I do. And, and I did come up with a few. I identified the gift of loyalty, uh, the gift of being organized and focused, the gift of sincerity. But uh, this is hard work. And I think it's, it's also really important work because when we see everyone in our family, church, community, nation as having gifts to share, valuable gifts to share, things go better. And when we stop doing that, when we stop assuming everyone has something to contribute, things go awry. Paul knows that. Paul knows that it's not enough to have all the gifts in, in the room. The hard part is for everyone in the room to see that, to value our own gifts, to respect the gifts of others, to not rank gifts, to not value one gift over another and to work together for the common good. I think that's why he mentions the spirit so often. He wants us to remember that these gifts all come from God, that everyone is a recipient of gifts from God. And when we remember that, we discover that we have an abundance of gifts at our disposal. So I want to return to the 12 days of Christmas uh, just for a moment. Someone helpfully added up the cumulative number of gifts received by the true love. When you add up all of the drummers, pipers, lords, ladies, maids, swans, geese, rings, calling birds, French hens, turtle doves, and pear trees over those 12 days, the total is 364 gifts. Quality over quantity? No. It's abundance. More than enough. More than enough. Amen.